0: Thank you for listening to the calvary church podcast if this ministry has been a blessing to you would you let us know send an email to my at toledocalvary.org we would love to hear what god is doing in your life today acts chapter 16 when we last left our heroes paul and silas if you remember this they had seen a vision paul had had a vision from heaven of a man from a place called macedonia who called to them and said will you come and help us and so Paul and Silas and their, their team left where they were. They went to this, this area, this region called Macedonia, and they went to like the leading city in that area, which was a place called Philippi. When they got there, God gave them some divine appointments. And if you remember this, one of the people that they encountered was this young girl who was a slave. And the people that owned her as a slave used her because she was possessed of a demon And that demon that lived inside of her was used to tell the future. She was like a fortune teller. And so people would pay these, these folks that owned this young girl to have her tell them their future. And this young girl would follow Paul and Silas around when they were preaching. And as she followed them around, she would say, these guys are great. They're servants of the Most High God. You should listen to them, which is true, but nobody wants a demon doing their PR, right? And so at some point, Paul had had enough, and it says that after several days, he points his finger at her, he casts the demon out of her, she's set free, which the church celebrates, but the people that owned her just lost their moneymaker because they were making a lot of cash off the fact that she was telling people's future, so they're mad. So they take Paul and Silas and bring them before the authorities and they say these men are doing things that are illegal. They start saying things about them. There's this huge uproar and look at what happens. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, if if you grew up like I did going to Sunday school, then for so many of these stories, you have a picture in your mind on a flannel graph board. Anybody? Like you had like this, this drawn cartoon kind of picture of these things. And we read this and we forget how real this was. They were beaten with rods. That's the kind of thing that people would die from. And then they were thrown in the inner cell of a prison. It was filthy. There was no light in there. It was crowded and hot and cramped. And then they were fastened with their feet in stocks. Those stocks, and we'll we'll talk about this more actually next week, they weren't used just so that they wouldn't escape and hold them in place. They were actually a device that could be used for torture as well. So here are these guys they faced demonic oppression, they faced human opposition, then they were treated unfairly, now they're in this prison, they're suffering all because they were doing what God told them to do. This is a messed up story, isn't it? Watch what happens next, Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What? In prison? and they're having a church service? For real? Is that what i do? Is that what you'd do? This is the question, especially next week, that we're, we're really gonna look into. What, what we're gonna talk about these next two weeks is the act of worship, when we worship God and what it looks like. And here are Paul and Silas literally, unfairly in prison, and yet they're having a church service. They're praying, they're singing songs of praise to God and watch what happens. And the other prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. That's pretty cool, isn't it? that as they worshiped God, God brought them deliverance. As they worshiped God, he set them free. When you read the rest of this story, as they worshiped God, God changed lives. Worship changes things. Here's what I want you to get. When we worship, something powerful happens. Next week, we're going to talk about powerful worship and what it looks like and why when we worship God, there's something dynamic that happens in our lives. Look, if you're If you're in need of some kind of a breakthrough in your life, I would encourage you, do not miss next week and the things that we're going to talk through. I'm I'm very excited about how we're going to look at those things next week, but today we're going to take a bit of a detour because as I've been thinking about this this act of worship and what it looks like and the model that we have from Paul and Silas, in my own kind of personal time in God's word, I've been reading through 1 Samuel chapter 4 the book of 1 Samuel, and when I got to chapter four, this story that we're gonna look at today, for whatever, you know how sometimes when God's word just gets a hold of you, anybody, do you know what I mean? This just got a hold of me, and so it was was rattling around in my head, and then this week I shared it with our staff and our staff devotions, and at the end of this week I just felt like this was something that God wanted us to look at, because next week we're gonna talk about powerful worship, but today I wanna look at a story from the Old Testament and it's a church service that we're going to see. It's a worship service. We're going to watch people who are going to be at least on the surface giving worship to God, but it's not powerful worship. What we're going to see in First Samuel chapter 4 is dangerous worship. We're going to see worship that because of how they conducted themselves, of how they lived their lives, this worship was not powerful in a good way. It was dangerous for them and in their lives. And the reason this is important is that because we're going to look at powerful worship next week, I think it would be wise for us to maybe see a cautionary tale this week about dangerous worship. Here's the reality. Sometimes to realize what something is is, you have to understand what it is not. Sometimes for you to appreciate something, to see something for what it is, first you've gotta see what it's not. Have you ever done this? How many of you take electricity for granted until the lights go out? Right, and then when the power goes out, then you realize, oh, how important electricity is. How many of you forget how good it feels to be healthy until you get the flu? And then you get the flu and you're like, oh, I forget how good it feels to feel good, right? Sometimes you have to see what something is not to appreciate for what it is. And so next week, we're gonna look at powerful worship. Today, we're gonna look at dangerous worship because what happens here was dangerous. It led to a lot of loss, it led to a lot of pain. And we look at this because if we're not careful, the same thing can happen to us. If you're a guest today, we're, we're honored that you're here with us. And when we come together as a, as a church, as people who follow Jesus, as people who, who love God with our whole selves, oftentimes we talk about how we live, and especially even what we do in this room, as acts of worship. In fact, we, we oftentimes we talk about worship as, as the musical side of things, and there's so much more to it than that. We'll talk about it, but Pastor John, who, who was just up here, his, his role is that he's our worship pastor, so we use that word in so many ways. If we had to give it a definition, Worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. If you looked it up in the dictionary, this is what you'd see. Worship is the the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. If you were going to make it very practical, all that we do is to be an expression of worship. We live to worship God. God created us with one purpose, and it was to worship Him. And so, as a result, all that we do is an expression of worship. We are to live to worship Him. So, with that in mind, with, with the importance and the value of worship in mind, let's go to this story in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Now, this is in the Old Testament, so we're rewinding hundreds and hundreds of years from when Paul and Silas lived. So, so take Paul and Silas who are in prison in Acts chapter 16, let's leave them in prison for now, let's kind of put a placeholder there, and let's rewind in history hundreds of years before David was the king, before Samuel, who we read about in 1 Samuel, when he was just a little boy, the person who was in charge of Israel was a priest who served as as their judge. His name was Eli, and he had two sons who were running the worship services. They were the priests for the people in that time. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. Cool names, right? Not cool guys. We got Hophni and Phinehas. Here's what happens in our story. First Samuel chapter one, or excuse me, verse one of chapter four. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. And the Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, and before I read this, remember, Israel, this, this is God's people. The Israelites are God's people. The Philistines are the bad guys in this situation. And it says that as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines. We don't like that because we always like to see Israel be victorious. We like to see Israel have miraculous things happen. And here it says Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. And When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So they lose this battle, 4,000 people die, and they get back, and it's almost like when when the team goes into the locker room at halftime, and the coach looks at them and says, boys, what happened out there? How come we got got beat up so bad? What do we have to do different? Which is a good question to ask. And when they ask the question, they come up with this answer. Boy, things are rough out there. Instead of us losing, we've gotta find a way to be winning, so let's do this, let's go get the arc of the covenant. Now here's something that's good for us to know. This was a good question for them to ask. If you're losing, if you're experiencing defeat in your life, shouldn't you ask why am I experiencing defeat and how do I get to victory? Good question, true or false? True, True. it's a good question. I think there's a better question though because they should have been asking a different question before they ever got to defeat. The right question for them to have asked was before we face defeat, what could keep us from victory? There was something that was going on in their nation in that time that was keeping them from being victorious and I think it was this dangerous worship we're about to talk about. Look at verse four, 1 Samuel 4, verse four. So the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty with Indiana Jones. No, that's not there. They brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord (laughs) Almighty, But, but you know what the Ark of the Covenant is, right? You read about this earlier in the Old Testament, that it was built to basically be the symbolic representation of God's presence. The people believed that it was true that God's presence kind of resided where the ark was. So when they say, let's go get the ark of the covenant, what they're saying is, let's go get our secret weapon. Our God's bigger than their God, so let's go get him and we'll take him into battle. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who's enthroned between the cherubim and Eli's two sons, remember these guys, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. What we need to dig down and see here is that what they did here was dangerous worship. And I wanna talk to you today about when is worship dangerous? When is it that our worship, what appears on the surface to be worshiping God can actually be something that ends up being dangerous in our lives? Four things I wanna show you as we look at this story. Here's the first one, when is worship dangerous? Number one, when worship becomes commonplace. When our worship of God just becomes commonplace. When it's no big deal to us. When we start to take God for granted that when we come into his presence, now this could be in any area of our lives, but I think it's especially when we come to a place like this, when we come together to worship him, when it's no big deal to us, when we forget that we're actually corporately together in the presence of the living God, when it's just commonplace to us, worship becomes something dangerous. This is what happened to Hophni and Phinehas, who were the spiritual leaders at that time, and as a result, it affected the whole nation. Now, you might look at this story and go, well, I'm I'm not a spiritual leader, so this doesn't apply to me. Well, in those days, they needed priests to help them communicate and make things right with God, but we don't need priests these days because Jesus died for us, right? He is our high priest, and because of his death on the cross, he has given us access directly to God through his blood that he shed for us. So that means we don't need priests, but it means that you're in charge of your own spiritual life. Does that make sense? Okay, so this applies to every one of us. And let me tell you about Hophni and Phinehas. Not only had their worship become commonplace, but look at this, couple chapters before, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, Eli's sons were scoundrels. That's a powerful word, isn't it? They had no regard for the Lord. Why were they scoundrels? It sounds like a word my grandma used to use, doesn't it? Oh, Chatty, don't you play with those boys. They're scoundrels. (laughs) Why were they scoundrels? Because they had no regard for the Lord. Because they had allowed his presence to mean nothing to them. The book of Proverbs warns us about this over and over and over again. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What's the fear of the Lord? Does that that mean that you're terrified? It's a matter of respect. It's a matter of honor. It's a matter of recognizing God for who he is, for his holiness, and for his power, and if you just just take the book of Proverbs and search for that phrase, fear of the Lord, and what you'll see is that over and over again that success and meaning and life and favor from God are hinged upon recognizing who God is and not allowing him to just be commonplace in your life. I thought of this when I, when I heard the story of a, of a guy in China, he was quite wealthy, he owned a, a big Land Rover and he had quite a bit of resource and his car got dirty He said to himself, I got a nice car, I need to get it clean. He thought about going to the car wash which would have cost him in US dollars three bucks. But he didn't want to part with the three bucks. So instead, because he was cheap, the story says that he took his very nice big SUV and drove it into this riverbed because somehow he thought that if he did that, he'd get, he'd get his car clean in the process. Well, what he didn't recognize when he was there was that they were gonna open the gates of the dam further up the river And so while he's there with his car in the river, all of a sudden this raging flood comes down through at him. He has to basically run for his life, ends up on the other side of the river from kind of where civilization was. The the local authorities had to come and use like this rescue line and go across and pull him over and eventually they got his car out, which was clean. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But in this whole process, it happened for two reasons. One, because he was cheap. Let that be a lesson to you and two, because he failed to consider the power that was on the other side of that river. He let that river become commonplace. He took for granted the power that was there. He took for granted the, the, the majesty that was there. He took for granted what was there in that moment, and when he came face to face with it, it caught him by surprise. How many times, even in my worship, do I forget how great God is? How many times in my life do I focus just on my own problems? Do I focus just on my own situation? Do I get frustrated with God because things don't go the way I think they should go when I fail to recognize him in all of his greatness? Like Hofti and Phineas, we must be careful that we do not allow God to become commonplace. Now, one of the ways that it shows itself is when we forget how great God is. One of the other ways that I think that it truly shows itself is when we begin to become very critical of others in worship. I went to college at a place called Central Bible College. Our president when we were there was Dr. Maurice Lednicki. And we had, we had chapels every day that we would go to. And quite often in chapel, he would make this statement. And it has just, you know, years later, it has stuck with me. And he used to say, when you come in this room, When you come into a place of corporate worship, you will do one of two things. You will either worship, or you will be critical of those who do. And that's very true. I needed that, because in that season of my life, I had the spiritual gift of criticism. Anybody else? (laughs) But that, that was me. And I was prone to look around and go, look at them. They think they're all that. Look at them, uh, hands raised, look at them. I know what they're really like. And in that moment when I was being critical of everybody else, I was forgetting how great God was. Does that make sense? When it's time to worship, you will do one of two things. You will either worship or you'll be critical of those who do. So watch out because worship gets dangerous when God becomes commonplace in our lives, which takes us to the second thing. This was the natural expression of this. Number two, worship is dangerous when worship becomes selfishness. Worship is dangerous when worship becomes selfishness. When worship becomes more about what you get out of it than about who God is, you know you may be on the path for dangerous worship. Let me give you the example. You got Hophni and Phineas. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 2, right there, the priests, and the way that they were, were basically compensated, the way that they were able to eat, is that the food that was brought for sacrifices in the temple in that Old Testament system, they got to keep some of it, so that became their, their meal. And this was the practice, people would bring meat and they would put it in this, this pot or this cauldron, and they would boil the fat off of it, and at some point, one of the, 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 the servants, one of the people that worked for the priests in the temple would come with this special fork and they would stick the fork down in the pot, and then whatever they pulled back out of the pot was the meat that the priests could keep. So it was a pretty good system, except Hophni and Phinehas said, yeah, but this could be better for us. And so they changed God's system, that instead of pulling the meat out of the boiling pot with the fork, they would have their their servants meet the people when they brought the sacrifices and said, why don't you just give the meat to us? The priests liked the meat raw instead of boiled. And people would go, well, that's, not, that's just not the way that it works. The way that it works, you put it in the pot, and then you do the fork thing, and then bon appetit, right? That's the way it works. <laughs> and here's what the priest servants would say. They would say, look, either you give us the meat, or we will take it from you by force. The priests were more interested in doing things in a way so that they could be benefited than they were in obeying God. Their sacrifice had become selfishness and they totally missed the point of worship. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says this, through Jesus therefore, let us continually offer to God, and watch these words here, a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And it brings up this truth that we can't afford to miss. Worship is to be an act of sacrifice. It's where I put myself aside and I put God first. When I forget my selfishness and I look to him, and if you're unfamiliar with the church, or maybe you're unfamiliar with, with some of our traditions here, here at this church, there, there are some things that sometimes you might look at and go, why do you do that? Or that's kind of weird, and especially in the time frame when we are in a, in, a, in a moment of worship, whether it be in music or in prayer or whatever that might be. There are certain things that we do that to those that might not be familiar with it, you might go, well, why, why do you do that in that church? I think it's important for you to know we don't do what we do just because of an emotional response. We do what we do because of biblical teaching that we have that says when I worship, it's it's a moment of sacrifice where I set myself aside and I look fully to God, not just for what I can get from him, but because of who he is. And here's, here's... If you're you're curious about this, here's the reason why we do some of the things that we do. It's because it's biblical. Why do we sing? I know some people are like, well, why do you have to sing when you go to church? Well, here's what the Bible says. Psalm 33 verse one says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music for him on the 10 string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout. For joy, here's what he says, it's, it's right for us when we come together as God's people to make music and to sing, because that's a part of our worship. Psalm 47 one says, clap your hands all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. We don't just clap because we're being polite. Very nice, very nice. We clap because we're praising God. It's an act of worship to him. One that oftentimes people go, "Ah, that's a little weird, especially if it's not in your background. You're like, ah, I'm not sure why they do that. Is is oftentimes people go, well, why why do we lift our hands in worship? Psalm 134, verse 2 says, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. And the truth is, you know, sometimes you may be like, well, I see people do that at a concert or something like that. Why would we do that in church? Because I honestly believe. There's something powerful about when you are focused on God and you put yourself in a position of surrender. You put yourself in a position of vulnerability. You put yourself in a position of openness. And when you do, I I think it just, it opens us up to who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. And for some of us, and I I get this, for some of us physically, it might be difficult, and, and God understands that. He knows that. For some of us, though, it might be like a little step out of our comfort zone. Like well, I don't, I don't know all these people, and I'm, I'm not so sure I want to stand there and, and do this. And I would encourage you, even if it feels a little weird, why don't, why don't you just, why don't you just stretch, literally, why don't you just stretch a little bit and try? And today might be the day we're gonna, we're gonna have a few moments of worship here at the end of the service, and it might be that today, August nineteenth, two thousand eighteen, may be the, the day that you just do this. Just do this. Just start. Just start. Right. And then next week, go crazy. (laughs) Right? I'm just telling you, when you open up yourself, there's something about that physical response that changes things. How about this one? Psalm 95, verse 6 says, Come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock. Under his care. Look, there's there's actually times when when the right physical response is not this, but it might be this. It might be to take a moment in, in humility and in repentance and in just the awesomeness of God to acknowledge who He is and to surrender. Worship by by its very nature is an act not of selfishness but of sacrifice. So can you see why Hophni and Phineas' worship was so dangerous? Because they took the sacrifice and they made it build around their selfishness. And when we talk about worship, realize it's, it's not just that 20 minutes when you sing in church. Worship is so much more. Worship is more than singing and music. The reality is that there comes a moment in in most services where 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 we offer the offering. And we say, hey, today we're gonna give you the opportunity to give. That's not just a business move. The Bible says that's an act of worship. So our giving is worship. It doesn't just keep the lights on. It gives us an opportunity to obey God and worship him by taking part of what he's given to us and giving that back to him. Our giving is worship. Our serving is worship. When when you serve in some way here at church, or when you go out and love the four one nine, you're not just doing a good deed so you feel good about yourself. You're literally worshiping God through the activity that you that you give to Him. Our work is worship. You know, sometimes we think that the only time I worship is is when I'm you know right here at thirteen sixty Conant Street. The truth is, when you go to work tomorrow, where God has put you, you are there and created. To worship him, to give him glory, to show who he is. In a few moments, we're gonna have 10 individuals who are, that, are gonna, that are gonna follow the Lord in obedience in the act of baptism. You know what that is? That's worship. That's publicly saying, God, I acknowledge who you are and your presence in my life. Here's the reality. All that we do is worship. Everything that we do is to be an act of worship. Colossians chapter three, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our worship is to be sacrificial in everything that we do. But when our sacrifice is filled with selfishness, it becomes a dangerous thing. And We watch this in this story which connects directly to the third thing that I want you to see. If your worship is commonplace, if your worship is selfish, it's a dangerous thing. Here's a third thing. Worship is dangerous when worship becomes empty noise. Worship is dangerous when it just becomes empty noise. Remember the story, halftime? The coaches say, Israel, what are we gonna do? Let's go get the secret weapon. And so they go and get the Ark of the Covenant, the, the physical symbol of God's presence with them. Verse four, so the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back at the Ark of the Covenant the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Now that's a church service, can I get an amen? amen. Holy cow! The religion reporters showed up. They write stories about it. Everybody all around them can hear it. It wasn't just noise, the whole earth shook. Verse 6 Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? Now that's a worship service. I'm telling you, those people were together. Here's the problem all that noise meant nothing because they weren't excited about God's presence. They were just excited about God's power. They just wanted what God could do for them. They weren't excited about the fact that he was actually there with them. They were were using him to get what they wanted without the reality of who he wanted to be in their lives. When our worship is filled with selfishness, it just becomes empty noise. There's a place in Canada that's known for the, the fields and fields and fields that they have of sunflowers. It's a beautiful place. And certain times of the year, they, they kind of open the gates so people can come and view all these sunflowers, and it's really something to be seen. But we live in a very unique age because just recently when they opened up those fields, people said, this is a great opportunity for me to go get a selfie. And all these people showed up, and they were overwhelmed when at one time they had 7,000 cars show up of people to take selfies. So much so that when all these people focused on self came to take pictures of these sunflowers, the police literally had to show up and say, that's it, we're shutting you down. We're not gonna let you do these picture days anymore. And two things happened as a result of all these people who came out because they wanted these kind of selfish pictures, if you will, two things happened. One, everybody else missed out on the beauty of what was around them, and two, many of those sunflowers became damaged in the process. And when my worship becomes all about myself, I miss out on God's beauty, and I set myself up to be hurt in the midst of that. We have to be careful, because if my worship is just all about me, it's just empty noise. Is my relationship with God commonplace? Is my worship of Him so focused on myself that I forget about the sacrifice? Has it become just empty noise? And this is really critical to see because here's the bottom line. Number four, worship is dangerous when worship becomes a means to an end. Worship is dangerous when worship just becomes a mean to an end. They had this powerful worship service. They've got their secret weapon. They go out into battle, verse 10 of Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent and the slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Doesn't sound like their secret weapon helped them out much, did it? Is that because God had lost his power? Is that because the Philistines were so much more powerful even than God? Well, you read the rest of 1 Samuel chapter four and chapter five, and when you read that, you'll realize God hadn't lost a bit of his power. He just didn't use it there. And the reason he chose not to show up and use his power is because all the way back to Hophni and Phinehas, their worship was so misguided and so selfish and so off of what God wanted it to be that it had become dangerous to them. They had let it become commonplace and selfish and empty and they were just using God to get what they could from him instead of experiencing his presence for themselves. Does that make sense? So we have to ask the question then, When I do worship, how do I know I'm doing it right? How how do I know that my heart's in the right place? Because apparently, if you go all the way back over here to Paul and Silas in prison, do you remember them? When you go all the way back over here, we see that their worship was so pure before God that it was powerful in what it did in their lives. That's what we'll look at next week. But this week, we've got to see what was the difference? How could they have been set up for victory instead of defeat. Well, here's a couple of things I hope you'll consider. Worship is to be our default mode and not a desperation move. Worship should be what naturally we grow and develop in our lives. That all through our lives, our focus is on God and His plan and His power in our lives and not just in those times when we're desperate. That we should be people of worship that we should lift our hands in the good times and we should lift our hands in the bad times. That we are people who worship God because it's who we are and not just because it's a desperation move. And some people would say, well, Chad, I, I get that, but I, I just, I'm just prone. In those times when things are really tough, that's, that's when I reach out to God. Here's, here's what I've come to find out. If you wait until the crisis to worship, you probably won't. If you wait until there's a crisis, if you wait until that tough time, And you say, well, then I'll reach out to God. There's a good chance that you won't because you've spent so much time relying on yourself that it'll be tough for you to reach out to him then. I'd rather already be a worshiper than have to figure out how to be one. Anybody else? And here's why. Because worship is about who God is, not what he can do for us. When we come into God's presence, I trust that your focus will be on who he is, not just what you can get from him. Now here's the reality, when we worship him, when we recognize him for who he is, our worship then becomes powerful. We'll see that next week. Look at this passage, Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28. It says this, "Do you not know? Have you not heard The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. They're worshiping God there for who he is. They're recognizing his presence in their lives and then he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. How many of you have found comfort in that passage? That God can bring his strength to us. Where does it begin? It begins when we recognize his greatness. It begins when we recognize who he is. We must desire the presence of God more than the power of God in our lives. God, I want your presence in my life. Because then his power will, will be a natural overflow. But if all I'm doing is trying to get something from him, then that, my friend, is dangerous worship. So in these next few moments today, I wanna encourage you to worship some of you this might this might be a little bit of a stretch we're going to sing some songs about God's faithfulness we're going to sing some songs about who he is and about his greatness and then also about the way that that works out in our own lives and I want to challenge you to worship him not just to kind of take it for granted for some of you this might be a little bit of a reach or a stretch maybe maybe your typical worship posture is this today maybe make it this right to, to reach out in some way and say, God, with my mouth, with my mind, God, I'm gonna worship you for who you are and for your greatness because there's something powerful that happens when we shift from a selfish, dangerous worship to a pure and powerful worship of him. I was reminded of this. I heard a, I heard a story from a great preacher this week who talked about this, this guy that had a hamster. And, and they had this hamster, and it was in the cage, and for three days... That hamster just sat there, didn't move at all. Now, they knew that this hamster was alive because it was blinking and it was breathing, but it was just right there at the edge of that metal cage. It just never moved, didn't eat, didn't drink, nothing. Well, after the third day, they were like, something's not right with this hamster, took the cage, took the hamster to the vet. The vet looked inside pulled the hamster out of the cage, and as soon as the hamster came out of the cage, it started running around, like started acting like a normal hamster. I was like, well, that's weird. And so they asked the question, well, did this hamster do anything strange recently? And the owner of the hamster said, well, yeah, a few days ago, the the hamster got out of the cage and was like running around and went under the refrigerator, but we were able to get it out of the refrigerator and get it back in its cage. Well, they start investigating the hamster, and as they do, they find that while the hamster was under the refrigerator, it ate a little refrigerator magnet still had the magnet up in its cheeks. And when it went into the, you got it, metal cage, right? So this hamster was stuck in that cage and couldn't get free because of what it would not let out of its mouth. Open your mouth and worship, right? Be willing to offer the sacrifice of praise, to make yourself available to God, and say, God, I'm here because of who you are, not because of what I can get from you, and God, I want to worship you. So will you stand with me this morning? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to take these next few moments. And look, I I know everybody has a different comfort level. And I know this is something that's so pure between just you and God. But as you trust him today, as you look to him today, will you open up yourself to be willing to to worship him, to praise him for who he is, to thank him for who he is and what he does in our lives. And as you do, I believe that God can do something powerful in your life. Father, in these next few moments, we worship you. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we, we praise you for your greatness. And we do this, Lord, not because of what we can get from you, but because, God, we desire your presence in our lives. Lord, we want to know you in the good times and in the bad times. God, we want to praise you and see your hand at work in our lives. So in these moments, Father, we put our trust in your faithfulness. We put our confidence in you. We look to you today as we worship you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Whatever your situation.
0: created the universe and you're the one who created us and your desire is not just to bail us out your desire is that we would know you God that we would experience your love and your grace that we would have relationship that you'd be Emmanuel God with us and so we worship you today not for your power we worship you for your presence God may we guard our lives from dangerous worship so we can truly know you at work in our lives. In Jesus' name.